Hey guys, Jack here. Welcome back to Just Hands. Uh, sorry it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, we have some more coming out the next few weeks. I've been traveling a lot. Um, but we have today's episode and a few more coming out soon. And so hopefully there won't be the same types of delays. So sorry about that. Um, but we're back, and we are brought to you by Solve for Why. Among my travels, I was at the Solve for Why Academy, both the Cash Academy and the Tournament Academy. And those are really awesome. Um, I had a great time. I think everyone who was there really enjoyed themselves and learned a lot. Uh, I've been seeing the growth in the Academy over the last couple of years, and I think that it's really an amazing product. So if you haven't done that, I recommend checking it out. You can find information about that at SolveForYAcademy.com. Remember to use discount code JUSTHANDS2019. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands Poker. Uh, it's been a while since I've recorded any episodes, and it's because we haven't had, you know, any fantastic guests like we do today. But today is different. Why is tonight different than other nights? The young child might ask. Because we have Lee Jones. Lee, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for letting me be part of this. This is fun. Lee, it's my pleasure. I hear you have some hands, or at least a hand, to discuss. I actually have two hands, and we can discuss one or both, and just see what we think. Yeah, well, let's start with uh, whichever one is best. Okay. Uh, I'll start with the, the, what I think is probably the more interesting of the two. And first, I want to set the scene. Um, have you ever played at uh, Harris in Cherokee, North Carolina? No, I've heard good things, but I haven't played there. So it is the only casino I've ever been to that has a really nice trout stream running through the parking lot. And it's a fish. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that like whenever I walk in there, I look down at that stream and I think, you know, a better version of me would be standing hip deep in that trout stream with a fly rod (laughs) instead of going inside a smoky casino. But there you have it. But yeah, if you ever get the chance to go out to Harris, you can you can hike the Smoky Mountains during the day and play poker at night. It's pretty awesome. And uh, oh, it's gorgeous. So um, that's the setting. And when you hear about these hands, I think you may be really attracted to want to go play the poker at night. So um, by the way, I did, I'm not actually a participant in either hand, but they happened at the table and I was fascinated with the play in both with hands. And and so I thought they would make interesting discussions for your listeners. In the first hand, we have Neil in the one seat and Neil is an older guy, a older white man. And he's been taking a few beats during the session. And I get the impression that he is a regular player, if not a particularly serious one. The three seat is a young kid who was set down relatively recently. And I haven't really gotten a vibe about him. This is a two, five game, by the way, haven't really gotten a vibe about him, but he does. He doesn't come across as a super pro or anything, but you know, kind of seems to think he knows what he's doing. And then over in the ninth seat, there is an Israeli cat. Hi Zach, who has just been talking a lot. Okay. He's just, just a lot of commentary going on. And the stacks are about maybe $600, six or $700 when all the excitement happens. So the nine seat guy is on the, is in the cutoff. And so Neil is in 
is on the button. Excuse me, I lie to you. Neil is the big blind, and the nine seat is the small blind. And so the kid is in the three seat. So he's the kid opens to $25, and it folds around to the Israeli guy in the nine seat. And he calls, and now Neil on the blind calls. So there's basically 75 in the pot. Flop comes six, four, four, two spades. So Neil checks, and the kid bets 75. It's a full pot bet. Big bet. It's a, it's a big bet, right? Mm-hmm. Remind me what position the kid opened from? Under the gun. It's either under the gun or under the gun plus one. Okay. okay. So now the nine seat calls, calls 75. And again, the stacks are about 600 to start. Yeah. Now Neil check raises to 275. All right. So I guess let's talk about this spot and what might make sense for Neil to take this line with. So we have six, six, is it six, four, four or six, six, four, six, four, four, six, four, four. Is there a flush draw? Two spades. Yeah. Two spades. So I think clearly Neil in the big blind can sort of threaten to have the most force. A a raise to 25 from an early position opener. Mm -hmm. It could have fours. It could have ace four. It could have five four. We don't know, I guess, exactly what this kid is up to. But I think we would expect Neil, you know, getting to complete and guaranteed see a flop is going to have the most force. So I think it's reasonable for Neil to continue here through a raise somewhat often, raise some forex, raise some bluffs even raise some other one pair hands to try and get protection. Okay. I will tell you that from watching Neil, he did not strike me as somebody who was going to get particularly creative. I didn't think that was going to be ace five of spades very often. Okay. Or even eight, seven of spades very often, especially for the size of the raise he put in. Right. I mean, they started with 600. When he puts in 275, he's pretty much saying he's ready to go with the hand, right? Yeah. But I mean, I think eight, seven of spades would qualify as I'm ready to go with this hand. You and I would be more than happy to go with it at that point, but that just didn't strike me as his. I really thought, I'll just tell you that at the time, as I was watching the hand play, I thought that's a four, right? Yeah. I think saying that's a four is a pretty reasonable conclusion. Although I think ruling out combo draws, but the thing is the more fours he has, the more spades in the more draws that he has, mm-hmm. you know? So if he starts adding hands like eight, four, seven, four, then he's also be adding like seven, five, eight, five. And so as you expand his fours, you expand his potential draws. Yep. Now that's not to say that, like getting more fours, you add fours at a much quicker rate than you add draws. So yeah, I think I think saying that this is four heavy is pretty reasonable. Because mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I don't know if I agree that we, we shouldn't expect hands like eight, seven, seven, five of spades. But I do agree with you that I don't think this is super likely to be, let's say, jack 10 of spades. And so since most of the combo draws kind of indicate the presence of fours in the first place i think we can just wait this 
kind of towards fours, which is it goes back to why, or in my opinion, this is not a great flop sizing from the kid. Because when he when he faces this raise, he's kind of in a terrible spot. He he really prefers, I think, against a player like Neil to face calls. And so he wants to incentivize incentivize calls. And this is this doesn't honestly isn't making a lot of sense. I think let me let me give you a better, I think, reason why I think he wants to bet smaller. I think he just has too strong of a range. And he doesn't want to blow a six off of its equity. And I think betting pot here is somewhat likely to do that. Yeah, um, I I didn't I didn't like the kids pretty much without even knowing the kid's hand. I didn't like his bet. Yeah, I think there's there's more of a case for it on a, a board like seven four deuce, let's say. Sure. If we if we have a hand like Kings, then if a seven just decides to fold, it's a reasonably decent event for Kings. You know, we'd rather see a seven call, but seven X has reasonable equity and our bluffs obviously love it when a seven folds. Mm-hmm. When we have Kings on six four four and a six folds, then That's really, really sad. Not, we're not getting any value here. Right. And we probably could have risked less with our bluffs and potentially try to debarrel instead of just get it all done on the flop. And if our opponent had zero fours, then you know maybe just choosing the sizing and getting things over with now is reasonable. But since you have something to lose against a portion of your opponent's range, risking unnecessarily with our bluffs, I think you're just missing out a little bit on some EV. I totally agree. And I would have preferred to see the kid bet 45, let's say, with pretty much anything he was going to bet. But he bets 75, and again, he gets the call from the button, and now Neil, you know, 275. And the kid tanks some amount. I mean, it wasn't an excessive tank. Nobody was thinking about calling a flop, obviously, or calling a clock on him. Obviously, this was, this was about to be a monster pot. And then he just rips it in for whatever was remaining of his 600. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think ripping it in here is indicating well i thought that it was probably an overpair and he was afraid that neil had made that raise with some kind of draw and he wanted to charge the draws the most money yeah i think i think this is unlikely to be a balanced raise because i don't think that this player's range has any incentive to raise that being said i think Different types of a, different types of players in the kids' seat are either going to be weighted heavily towards overpairs or weighted heavily towards draws. I personally think there's more of a case for making the shove with a draw, since something that you will see from time to time from Neil is Neil just having a lot of hands like sevens, eights, nines, tens, jacks, and if the kid has some sort of read that Neil is the type to just play pretty snug from the big blind facing an early position open for five X, which is reasonable. Like I don't think that Neil's making very much money calling with most of his four X. So if Neil's range is actually much stronger than we thought, and this raise is much more likely to be kind of like a, a middle pocket pair type of hand. Then when we have a hand like ace, king, ace, queen, king, queen, ace, jack of spades, and we can potentially just get those hands to fold right now or flip if those hands decide to call off, right. I think that has some utility since anytime we get a fold, it's nice. 
So if we're if we're putting Neil squarely in that kind of range, then I think shoving quite a bit makes sense. I think shoving with an overpair against that range also makes sense. It just depends on how you you think your opponent's going to respond. I will I will tell you that I thought his shove was probably suicide because I thought that Neil was so heavily weighted to having a four. Well, if you think I I mean I agree, and I think that if you expect a lot of force and potentially a more polarized range, then we just have no incentive to raise. We honestly have fairly little incentive to call. Yeah. If we decide that our opponent's bluffing enough that we might want to call, then at the very least, we shouldn't raise. We should just call and keep our opponent's range wide mm-hmm. and see if we can induce more bluffs. Yeah. And I will tell you that the kid was relatively recently arrived to the table, but from I had been playing against Neil for a couple of hours and I would have had no difficulty folding queens in that spot when Neil check raised like that. It might have been the first check raise I'd seen Neil unload. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just thought he was heavily weighted to force. But interestingly, let me, let me advance in the hand because the, there's this really interesting thing that happens. The kid tanks and shoves his 600 into the pot. And now the nine seat snap calls the shove. Oh, I want to tell you something. When Neil check raised, and remember, Neil's in the one, and the Israeli guy is in the nine seat, and the Israeli guy had flat called the kid's bet on the flop. Neil check raises to 75, and the nine seat leans around in front of the dealer and said, what do you have? Now, you know, that, that's really not very good etiquette, but it happened, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, I thought, okay, fine. But now the kid shoves. And the nine seat guy snap calls. And now Neil snap calls. Who's got what? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the nine seat probably has a four. I think the kid probably has an overpair. And what does Neil have when he snap calls? Probably a four with a very good kicker, or maybe just he's got the boat. I mean, I don't think it's a very a great raise when you have sixes full. In fact, I probably wouldn't raise anything in Neil's position other than bluffs. If I looked like Neil, that was, I mean, mm-hmm. of right. course, like if, if you're an old white guy like me, yeah, like yeah. I can get away with that. But it's, <laughs> yeah. I would just never raise a four. Well, what do you think? I mean, what did you think before they turned over their hands? So I guess you didn't have very much time to think about it. I didn't have a lot of time to think about it, but I like the, when the, when the nine seat called the bet, then there's a check raise and a shove and that he snap calls the shove. I thought, well, that's quad fours or, you know, six, four, six, six. I mean, that it had to be like pretty much the nuts, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think ace four king four are reasonably liable to play this way. It's not uncharacteristic for less experienced players to kind of have the blinders on to a certain degree when they right. have a hand over a certain threshold. Right. And mm-hmm. I think sure. four, King four definitely meet that threshold that like right. they're just going to be sort of insensitive to like extremely aggressive or fast action. Mm-hmm. You can imagine Tommy's hand from painless poker where he has the, uh, the nut flush. Yes. And loses the straight flush. Mm-hmm. That kind of phenomenon. No, you're absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised bad. if he had a boat though. 
Right. But you're absolutely right that people have that, particularly inexperienced players, it's like they're playing video poker, right? And, and they reach some level, like a certain number of coins that are supposed to come back, you know, be it trips or, a, you know, straight or a full house or whatever it is. And they don't even think about the fact that there are actually hands better than the one that they happen to have. And, and the actions suggest that those hands are out there. So when the hands got turned up, the kid had pocket jacks, which I kind of, which didn't surprise me at all. The nine seed had pocket sixes, so he'd flop sixes full, and Neil had ace four suited. Yeah, and you know, the 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 board bricked out, and you know, the guy with his pocket sixes won an absolute massive putt. And interestingly, I had a friend of mine who's a kind of a poker novice sitting behind me, and she, you know, she watched all this happen, and later she said to me is there any way Neil gets away from the ace four suited? I definitely don't think that Neil should be thrilled about his situation. Mm -hmm. So I have an answer, but I want to hear your answer. I want to think through it a little bit. So I'll think, I'll think through it out loud. So Neil's getting very good price. So he's getting around five to one. So he needs to win this pot ultimately, not just be ahead now, but he needs to win this pot you know, around 16% of the time. So we can start with like, what's our equity against the kid's range? So the kid is going to have like, I think we can probably say around 30 combos of overpairs. Let's say 27, given that we have an ace. And those each have two outs against us or one mm-hmm. out in the case of aces. Right, we've got the kid crushed, very likely. We've got the kid, cr- we've got the kid crushed, but the kid, the, the kid does still have like eight percent eight to ten percent against us and it's not like we're dead whenever that happens so like that's ten percent of the time when he has those hands that we just or let's say eight percent that we just we lose then when he has a flush draw then the kid has like at least against ace four the kid has like thirty percent maybe a slightly less i was gonna say a little bit less but twenty five to thirty percent seems right twenty five to thirty percent and let's say that he's like three to one over pairs to flush draws. So overall against the kid has like around 15% against us, his range, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit less, like 13%. So I guess that means we need to have like 25 or 30% against the other guy's range to be calling off profitably. That's like a very ballpark. But let's say, Let's put it 30%. Mm-hmm. Um, just be conservative since I think that if anything at these stakes, like we should expect slightly tighter than our estimates um, in this kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, 2-5, and, and I think this is important for something for us to discuss, which is that 1-2, 1-3, 2-5 games by and large tend to be, big bets tend to be massively value heavy. Yeah, for sure. So let's just look at the combinations that beat us. There's three sixes. Do we think that our friend plays six four suited? I, you know, I, this is this is like some weird version of Johnny Laudan thinks. I don't know if we would expect him to have six four suited, but it's probably you know he was he's on the button. I think it's probably. Did we say he was in the small blind? No, he's on the button. I think it's probably reasonable for him to have. Six four. I think it's possible. Let's put it this way: it's possible for him to have six four suited. All right. 
Um, so let's give him like, let's give him a half. So that's three and a half combos that were crushed by. We have some equity. We have like what? Against the sixes, we have like 5%. Against 6-4, we have 13, 14%. Yeah, three outs twice. Yeah. Yeah, three outs twice plus some chop outs. So I think I'll just point out that like when we go, when we realize that we have equity, that we're already getting pretty close to a call given our price. So we don't need to give our opponent that many combinations that we beat or chop with. Like if we give them the rest of the ace four, that's like one or somewhere between zero and one combinations, depending right. on suits. If we give him some king four suited, and I think if we give him six four suited, we should give him like some at least king four suited, maybe queen four. So that's a couple more combinations that are possible. Let's say like in total one combo that we beat. But that combo we have like 90% against. Right. Or yeah. So if we have 90% against one combo and 10% on average against three and a half combos, then we would be getting the price against this guy's range. So overall I think it's close. Right. I do think it's it's a fairly marginal spot. Like if we if we busted out the equity calculator we could probably get a better sense of it than just like ballparking it in our heads. But I don't blame Neil for calling. There's also like the spaz factor of like, you know, maybe they just both have like, like spade maybe, draws, right? Yeah, maybe they just both have spade draws. Like, who knows? And so adding a little spaz equity, I think, helps our case a lot. Oh, is spaz equity an actual phrase? I mean, is that a term of art now? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we can make it a phrase, spaz right. equity. I've heard similar things. No, no, I, I, I think we all know what we mean, right? Yeah. So now I, it was interesting because at the time I said to her, I kind of feel like Neil should get away from it, but I didn't do the analysis that you've just done there. And I, I guess when it's all said and done, I just have to, you know, because if it turns out they both have spades, I mean, you're just golden, right? Yeah, you'd be making a huge equity mistake. I think the the thing that we for sometimes forget in these spots, it's like when we when we're getting five to one, in like worst case, we have like six percent. Like we still have six percent. So like the threshold our opponents showing up with like worse mm-hmm. is very low now. Like if we were literally dead. Like this is I guess like a big difference between like on the flop and on the river or in a situation where we would be dead if we were wrong, then right. we need our opponents to be really full of it much more often. But yeah, the fact that we can just like spike the four is nice. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah, because quads do happen, right? I mean, so... They do, especially when three of them are already out. That's like, especially when they happen. No, also, I, you know what? I think I've learned something interesting because I, I kind of felt like Neil should have been able to get away from it. But in retrospect, I think he, he certainly isn't fist pump calling in any way, shape, or form. But as you say, it's like it doesn't require much in the way of spaz equity. And the other thing is, it very, very correctly, like let's say you theoretically need 16% to call and you only have you know, as the cards lay 8%. Well, it's, it's an 8% error. You know, it's, it's not a catastrophic error. No, there's no, there's really no scenario where we just like put in the money and then like literally never get any back. And I think that those errors, like that, that comes up a lot, like bluff catching on the river. 
Like there are plenty of times where I think live poker players put in money that they are never getting back, no matter what happens. And those are the things that those are the areas where we really want to prune out of our game more so than just like getting super coolered in a spot where you got to the flop with fairly low SPR. Like SPR was like seven in a three-way pot. Let's see. It was 75. Yeah. Seven. Exactly. Very very close to seven. Sure. Now I think if, if Neil makes it like 150 Mm -hmm. faces a jam and then a call, then the situation gets a little bleaker. I, I totally agree. It doesn't, you don't have to change his check raise much. I mean, I, I also think like Neil just should never check raise this size. We, I, we, had, ugh, we didn't really talk about it, but I think if you're going to check raise at Disney five, you might as well just like go on. Like it's, it's a very live poker kind of doesn't make sense, but maybe is a little bit more effective thing to do. But I think, I think the solution is just don't raise, just never raise, just call. And then like sometimes lead and try and induce. But when you get the deuce of diamonds, mm-hmm. raise four, I would, if I'm Neil here, I would just call. And then if it checks me on the flop on the turn, like the deuce of diamonds, I'm just going to leave for like a hundred. And you will just induce like crazy action from overpairs and flush draws playing that strategy, especially if you're Neil. And yeah, if you raise like it's just really hard to raise fold other than for like 150, 175. Right. And yeah. it's just a strange raise. So, I, I think, I think that's the problem is that he just pretty much pot committed himself with the check raise. Yeah. If he, and as if, if I'd been in his shoes, I think I might very well, just flat call the flop because I would expect the kid to just have a lot, a lot, a lot of overpairs because of his sizing on the flop. And so I would check the f- call the flop and then check the turn and hope the kid put in a big bet and then just get the money in there and nobody's folding at that point. Yeah. And if you're Neil and you have eight, seven to space, <coughs> shove. It's unquestionably the best thing you can do. Right. Because you're going to get um, a ton of folds from better hands. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of overpairs to fold. You're going to get a lot of flush draws to fold. Flush draws, which are now getting a really bad price versus what looks a lot like a four. Yep. So I think it's the best way to like clean up your equity and just get a ton of folds with this hand. But yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of the 275. No. Like, I, think it's, I think it's a fine raise if you're... But he just didn't think about the fact that he was going to be left with like half pot behind. Yes. So I'm sure you, you know, lectured Neil at the table, berated him for <laughs> making such a bad play. That would not be exactly what I did. I kept my mouth <laughs> shut as, as one does. Right? Yeah. Well, that's a fun one. It we was. Time. Let's jump into the other if you don't mind. Let's do what? I'm sorry. You want to jump into the other hand? Yeah, yeah. And this one's much quicker, by the way. So it, this is a um, different dramatis personae. Guy sits down on my immediate right, and he's a young black man, and like everything about him gives off, I'm a pro. He's got the backpack. He's wearing sweats. Um, He's wearing a Manchester football club baseball cap, which gets some discussion. And when he starts talking, he's got a European accent. But Jack, everything about him, just like, I'm a working pro here, right? It's just like. That's the vibe. And at the opposite end of the table is the young white kid who I, I'm, it's difficult just because he's at the opposite end of the table and, and, and it's earlier in the session. 
but I, I get the, the impression that he is a pro or a semi-pro or a serious amateur, right? So Manchester is in the big blind and it folds around to the seven seat kid and he makes it 20. It folds around to Manchester and he makes it 60, folds back around to the kid he makes it 160. How deep are they, by the way? Yeah, that's, that's, um, they're like seven or 800 deep. Comes back to Manchester, and he thinks briefly, not too long, and calls. All right? Yeah. So we've had for, a raise, a three-bet, a four-bet, and a call. For what it's worth, I, I think it's reasonable to never four-bet here in a position. I think the big blind three-bet mm-hmm. is just like a seriously underpluffed line. And oh, I I tell people all the time in one three two five games, out of position three bets are just pure platinum. I think some I think pros are starting to three bet the small blind a lot more. They see it as a very disadvantageous position to call from. Mm-hmm. I think the big blind, especially since it's just so easy to flick it in complete, it remains an underbluffed line. And so I'm not saying it's impossible that this guy has bluffs. But if you're up against a very strong range in position with this SPR, I just don't think you really want to three bet much of anything other than maybe aces. You mean four bet? Sorry, four bet. Anything other than aces, kings, and some ace king. And if that's if that's all you would want to three bet, sorry, four bet. The reason I say that's all you want to four bet is because if you four bet queens to like one sixteen, then just get shoved on like you're in hell. So I think it's reasonable. It's just a strategy to. Never four bet in this spot, and just flat everything that you want to continue with, mm-hmm. and just show up with maybe a stronger range than your opponent expects that contains hands like ace king suited, queens, kings, aces, hands that maybe you would have expected you to four bet. Uh, so that's my strategy here. But I, you know what, I've really come around to that same way of thinking, and it's because position is the bomb, right? It is nice. And and with the pot bloated already, it's 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 like if you like if you like the flop, you can you can get stacks in, and and you have position and to the degree that it matters, your hand is disguised. So, yeah, I I totally agree, and and I think your argument makes perfect sense that it's really only aces kings and maybe ace kings suited that you really want want a four bet, and so yeah. It just now, now he gets away from his queens and you're sad. Yeah, I know. It's even so when you have these hands, like you don't want to induce folds from like the bottom of that range. And when you don't have aces or kings or ace king, now your opponent just has aces or kings or ace king quite a bit. Yeah. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But if you call, then you're in position with like five SPR and you have a really strong range. Yes. That's a good, that's a good place to be. I, th- I think that's a, an important lesson to come out of this. So anyway, the kid makes it 160. Manchester thinks for a moment and calls. And the flop comes, king, king, jack, two spades. Manchester checks. Kid checks behind him. Mm-hmm. And the turn is the 10 of diamonds. And Manchester shoves effective. I remember the number. It was 550. So they started out like 700 effective and Manchester just like sticks in 550. 
That's that's just insanity. I don't know what to say. Like, I'm just not sure what you would want to do that with. I was surprised. It's not a board where your opponent checking back means that they don't have it. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 a tough board for for bluffs. Like, let's say you just had queens here. I think you have almost zero incentive to make this play, and it's hard to have like many other bluffs. Like, if you have ace king here, like I'm not saying that this doesn't make money because you have ace king, <coughs> and there's two kings on the board. Right. But so I you're, you're going to make money one way or another. Yeah. I mean, I think checking again with that hand is reasonable. It's just a it's a really bad board for when we have like aces queens. And so, you know, I think starting to bet when we have like jacks full, tens full, those are hands that could use some protection. I was going to say, suppose you had pocket jacks or suppose you had ace king there and, you know, you really want some value, right? I mean, it's hard to make a big hand. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use just that this size, but I would definitely bet jacks here, bet tens here. I think I would consider checking ace king again because I just think it's hard to get I think honestly, I think it's hard to get value with Ace King. If we get value from King Queen, sure, but there's not very many worse kings. I don't think we get called by like Queen Jack here. So yeah, I think it's really just. I think you just want to start inducing and just feign like you have queens or aces and try and get your opponent to bluff. Plus, and you, you have really and you really think that you need to, you think you really need to check Ace King one more time. I just don't see a lot of incentive to bet Ace King. Like I think you're. I think if your opponent has King Queen and you check again, your opponent's just going to bet for you. I think when we have ace king, we just we do similarly against the value range by just checking, and we can maybe induce some bluffs because I think that at this point when it goes check twice, right now the imposition player has reason to like take a hand like jack ten or something, mm-hmm. and just decide to bluff, try and get right. a hand like queens or aces to fold, and there's enough money out there to give him some motivation to try. <laughs> Yeah. Plus, when we have, when we have Ace-King and get shoved on, we're not in a good spot. Or when we shove Ace-King and get called, we're not in a great spot. Right. Our opponent's allowed to just have Ace-Queen or King-Jack or King-10 or Jacks or 10s. So yeah, I, this is a strange shove. I'm guessing yeah. we see a call. <laughs> well, this is, this, is where, this is where things got really weird. The kid snap calls, and Manchester has Ace-King, and the kid has Aces. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's pathetic. Yeah, I mean, this is like another blinders example where like I have aces and... It's, a, it's, a, it's another movie from the same producers as Rounders. It's called Blinders. And, <laughs> and, and it's just like, yeah, like... I mean, hey, if like, I thought I was getting called by aces, like I think shoving ace king is great. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and I don't, I don't think that there was that level of understanding going on in... Uh, I mean, unless maybe Manchester and the kid have played against, against each other. It, it, it is, as you might imagine, being in the remote backwoods of the Blue Ridge Mountains, it's, it's a somewhat insular 2-5 poker community, right? It may be that these guys have a bunch of history and he knew that the, like, he could just get value. I don't know. But I was just like, and what was interesting was is this friend of mine who's a student, you know, she's, she was like, how did he think those aces were any good? The aces. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was, I was just appalled. And, and I was mostly interested in, in what you thought was 
what was the right thing to do with the aces and what was the right thing to do with ace queen or ace king. And I see that you, you know, your ace king is like, you just have to check it twice and hope you find some excuse to bluff or, you know, effectively bluff. Yeah. I think this hand should check to the river. And if let's say we get a blank, then I think ace king wants to bet. It has to bet at some point. Right? Yeah. And that's really what you should do with the aces is like you, you, you check twice and then if he bets the river and it's a blank, you, you know, you basically look at it as a, as a function of the size of the bet. You just say, you know, how often does he have kings and how often does he have miss spades or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think another, another way to look at this hand is if we have bluffs here, like our bluffs are fine bluffing river on this board. Like we have like ace-three offset or something that we decided to, I'm not necessarily condoning this play, but if we decide to just three bet as a bluff with a hand like that, we can check to the river here and get most like one pair of hands to fold. Like I don't think ten nine suited necessarily calls like a river bet of a hundred here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, remember this was four bet pre flop. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of ten nine suited in either hand. Yeah, I'm. I forgot about that. Uh, we don't at this point. This is this makes just the aces thing even crazier, but. When we have ace king, um, or we're, when we're in the big line range, now we just don't have any bottom. So it just it's impossible. It's almost impossible for us not to be beating aces on this board unless we have exactly queens. Yeah. Here is Cherokee. Yeah. Right. Put it. Looking put it on your, now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Flying to Knoxville or or Asheville, either one. But yeah, it's uh, like even if you never played a hand of poker out there, it it would be well worth a visit. But Pretty pretty soft two five games going on. So you heard it here first. Good stuff, Lee. Some <laughs> one cooler and then one fake cooler. Yeah, right. People love overpairs, man. They do. And, and you know what? That's that's the common theme through both hands, right? Yeah. Is the people just getting broke with overpairs for with no need? Yeah, I mean the getting raised to two seventy five with jacks is a. It's not an easy spot. Like I think, I think you can get away and not be losing money against the field, or not be leaving money on the table against the field. I don't think it's a mandatory call by any means, the way it would be in like game theory. But yeah, this this hand with the aces is really really a punt. I would oh man, an ace on the river would have been so fun. <laughs> the one remaining ace would have been so fun. Yeah, uh, Max Payne. Yeah. Gotta always cheer for Max Payne at the poker table, in my opinion. <laughs> hey, listen, if you if you show up to to generate an experience pain, then 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 the ace on the river one out or definitely definitely does it. I'm speaking to you here from the uh Software Academy in Las Vegas and been doing some commentary on the streams that happen in the academy. And it's amazing like the deck's tendency to teach lessons. <laughs> Like it's hard, it's hard in this game to make a mistake and not get punished for it. It's, it happens plenty. Like people make mistakes and don't get punished all the time in life. Right. But more often than not, and you learn this watching people play poker with the hands exposed, people get punished when they make a mistake. And yeah, the deck is brutal. The deck <laughs> is unforgiving. Well, you, you know what uh, John Lennon said: "Instant karma is going to get you." Right. I mean, it's. it's Instant karma. 
So Lee, what uh, tell us a little bit more about you know your relationship with poker. How long have you been playing? In what capacity have you been playing? Oh my what goodness! Look like you've looked like for you today. So I've been playing poker for. I mean, my dad taught me when I was five years old. We had the red, white, and blue plastic poker chip set that you know the kids yeah. of that generation had little thin plastic chips. And and I, you know, we played five card draw. And I'll, what I remember from that was don't draw to an inside straight and don't keep an ace kicker with your pair. But I got seriously into it back in the eighties when I started playing ace to five low ball at Garden City in San Jose, and. And I just sort of realized that people were playing that were like really bad at the game and they'd been playing for decades and they were still bad at the game. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. It's fun. And from there I started writing for card player. And then in 1994, I published winning low limit Hold'em, which was one of the earliest primers about limit Hold'em, and just kept writing and, and doing my regular. I mean, I I've never actually played as a professional grinder. I mean, that's just never been my thing. I've always had a regular day job as a software engineer in Silicon Valley for 25 years. And then in 2003, the poker boom hit and I joined PokerStars and I basically worked for PokerStars for 15 years. And in, uh, I left PokerStars on January 1st of this year. And so now I'm playing a lot of poker, which is really fun. And I'm playing more than I've ever really gotten to play in my life because I'm kind of semi-retired these days. And I'm doing some writing. I have a couple of writing projects I'm working on. But the the big thing that's getting me up in the morning and has me really jazzed on the poker front is I'm working on a project with Tommy Angelo. And it's a free video series that we're calling Poker Simple. And we're basically hoping to take some of the complexity and difficulty out of the game for people. I would think that most of our viewers would be people who are not 5'10 pros. And it's not the guy who's making a living playing a 200-400 mixed game at the Bellagio. But yeah, I mean, Tommy and I have known each other for 15 years and we've always wanted to do a project together. And I got some time and then he got some time and we we're putting this together and we're super excited about it. That's exciting. And I think it's a, a really challenging thing as well. Like I have a lot of people in my life who have approached me at one time or another and said, Hey, I, you know, I want to learn how to play poker. Where should I start? Or can you teach me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Typically I still don't really know what to like, where to, where to point them. So it's a very complicated game. Mm-hmm. And the way I've learned to think about the game is very complex and trying to figure out what are the key things that someone needs to know is challenging. Like what I actually sat down once and I was in Florida with my brother visiting family and my, my younger brother had just turned uh, 19 and in Florida you can play poker at 18. So I was like, you know, for his birthday, I said, why don't I give you some money and I'm going to do my best to just give you basically an algorithm, just a, a set of rules to follow. Sure. And if you follow this, like I think there's a good chance that you'll win. And if you lose the money, don't worry, it's your birthday present. And I, I tried, I was thinking it wouldn't be that many things that you just, like the list of things to do wouldn't be that long. To beat a game is easy to beat is one, two. Mm-hmm. 
And it was challenging. Like when you, when you get into it and try and approach the game like that and just give kind of like a, you know, like bot instructions almost right to someone and have them, first of all, digested enough to be able to follow the instructions. Like it's not trivial to get from here's a Google document with the things you should do to actually being able to do that in game and also having a comprehensive enough list of things. It's challenging. And, you know, he ended up losing and he got cooled off. So I don't, I don't know that my set of rules was necessarily invalidated, but. Did he have fun? Uh, he did have fun. Uh-huh. And then he came over and watched my table. And then the floor said, you can't watch. And I said, you guys don't know what you're doing. And then we left. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that kind of thing just makes me want to scream because how, do they think that anybody is going to learn and become comfortable and familiar with the game? You know, what is the most obvious way for them to do it? Sit and watch, right? Yeah. Okay. I understand why you may make a rule like that, but clearly this is like my brother. (laughs) I'm also playing in the biggest game in the room. So like maybe if you're going to make an exception, it would be for someone who's playing in the biggest game in the room, Mm -hmm. but no, they're, you know, we we have a, we live in a society of rule followers, and the rules were followed, and the customers left unhappy. Oh, that just makes me so sad. But yeah, I mean, I think that your brother is exactly the person that Tommy and I would like to talk to, and it's probably too much to ask him to say, "Oh, you know, you will watch one video and you will go in and reliably beat a one-two game." But our hope is, is that people that, you know, like, like in your brother's situation, if they were to watch the first few videos, then they might have a reasonable chance of holding their own. And, and there may be, I, I, I suspect that there's a lot of people out there who have been playing a while and like every time they go, they lose their $200 or $400 or whatever it is. And they're like, you know, I think I really enjoy poker, but I would enjoy it a lot more if I didn't lose my 200 or $300 every time I sit down. Yeah, I think, I mean, games, in my opinion, are still very, very beatable. Poker's not dead. No, poker's not no. dead. But I do think that we've gotten to a point where there's a level of competency in your average one-two game that someone who really, really doesn't know how to play is mm-hmm. basically drawing dead. And I think that getting to that level has really hurt the game because it's just so rare to get someone who like has never played before, doesn't like barely knows the rules, sits down in the game and comes away winning. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that gets you invested in the way where you're willing to like come back, lose some, learn more about the game and become someone who's, you know, regularly playing in poker and enjoying it. Right. So something like what you and Tommy are working on is totally essential. It's been something that you know I've totally missed. I just made a course for the Solve for Why TV called Back to Basics, mm-hmm. and it's it's not at all this. <laughs> like it's it's you've signed up for like a serious poker training site, and here are like here we're getting back to like the essentials of like like the mathematical foundation of poker, but that's very different. That's not the basics we're talking about here. And there's just, I, there's not enough service, I think, 
to that audience, especially not from people who actually know the game. Like I'm sure there are some, you know, YouTube video creators who make look up keyword searches and learn enough about the topic to make some sort of like rudimentary video that gets like a bunch of clicks so they can sell ads. But right. Yeah, no, I think this is sorely needed. So I commend you guys. Well, thank you. We're, we're really excited about it. And I know that speaking for myself, one of the reasons I'm particularly excited about it is because I basically love poker. And I mean, that's why I asked you if your brother had a good time because, because I want people to play poker. And as you say, it's like, if you sit down at the blackjack table, you know, I mean, you're only giving up a relatively small edge. And so you have some non-zero chance of actually winning. And then you say, oh, I'm going to come back and keep doing this. And now the casino is happy because eventually they're going to get all the money you bet at blackjack, right? And it's unfortunate that people that sit down at the poker table for the first time are actually would be better off playing blackjack or craps because they're giving up a smaller edge in the pit than they're giving up sitting at the poker table. And that's, that's bad in the long term for poker. Yeah, I've 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 had to confront that. Like I've I've gone to casinos with people who have said like, "Oh, should I play some poker?" And they have no idea how to play. Right. And I I say like you can, but you're going to lose all your money. And so I I recommend just going and playing roulette. Right. Right. And that's I know I, I don't no, want to have to give that, that advice. That's you know? bad, right? You you feel like a, a traitor to the game. Yeah, n- don't play poker, play roulette. What? Yeah. No, but it's just the chances that someone will lose all their money if they play for more than, let's say, an hour mm-hmm. is really high. <laughs> and it's when, when you're in a game and someone who doesn't know how to play comes, like, it's great because you know they're going to lose all their money. Like, I've, had, I've played with people who come and they, they don't understand, like, why would someone would, would want to fold. And so they just, they just always call. Like, it's like, it's $20. Like, okay, well, that's my fee. I put yes. in twenty dollars. Yes, and if if that's your approach, like you're you're dead, you're mm-hmm. stone dead, and you're not going to be you're not going to last five minutes. Right, and 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 again, that makes me real as a as a poker lover. Like in all honesty, Jack, it's like you know the guys brought one hundred and fifty dollars to the table, and so I'm supposed to get like twenty dollars of that, right? I mean, in all seriousness, I would rather he win then I get his 20 bucks because maybe he'll come back and keep, you know, and keep playing and keep the card room open so they won't shut down that card room in that casino. Yeah. I think there's, there's a bit of a tragedy of the commons situation happening with the players where no one is, it's probably better for poker. If someone just said to the guy who sat down, like, look, this is a really fun game. You're going to love it. Stand up, walk away and go read a book. It's unlikely to be worth $20 to the people who are right there right now to give that advice. And so that's where, I mean, poker educators come in, you know, because they are incentivized in the right way to give that information and to get people to step one or step two. And I think people don't appreciate poker education the way they should because they see it as the games are getting tougher. Why are they getting tougher? Because people are more educated. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if, if there was no way to get educated, well, sure, like, if there was no way to get educated, then the games would still probably be pretty good. But that's an unrealistic situation. Yeah, I mean, that, so is, it, that is the nature of the human beast. As soon as humans take on something, 
the, the first thing that happens is the more clever guys and gals in the group go, huh, is there a better way to do this? Right. I mean, it's just, that is in our DNA. So. I mean, luckily it's, it's a very challenging thing to figure out how to do this better. And which is why the game is going to go on for at least a good amount more time. I won't say that it has an infinite life, but I don't think we're anywhere near close to the game being so tough that no one wants to play. Right. That's many decades away at the, at the minimum, in my feeling. I'm glad to hear that. And anyway, so that's, uh, that's what Tommy and I are doing, and I'm excited about it. And, you know, this is actually an opportunity for me to thank you because one of the things that you're doing is you're providing this content. And people can just listen to it and get better at poker and they're paying zero dollars to do it. So you are helping the game of poker. Like you are giving people a chance to get better at the game and keep keep games going and keep keep the game of poker going. I appreciate you saying that. You'd be surprised to know that I don't get thanked every single day for doing the Just Hands podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, astonished uh, and disappointed, but I, I, I mean that sincerely. Oh, thank you, Lee. Uh, you know, I enjoy doing it, obviously. I've gotten more than my fair share, I think, out of doing it. But I'm really happy to be able to you know, provide some level of education and maybe a little bit of entertainment too, to the yeah. people who have chosen to listen. And I have no plans to stop, although it has been a month since I've released the last episode. Sorry about <laughs> that. Um, but I have no plans to totally stop. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, Lee, well, that's exciting. And I wish you guys the best of luck. I know once things are nearing the stages where they'll be available, Tommy will shoot me an email and I can get one or both of you back on the podcast to talk some more poker and you know, point us to exactly where we should check things out. And in the interim, I wish you guys luck in the development phase. Thank you very much. Uh, we will definitely be back in touch as the launch date nears. And I would, I would love to come back on any old time. And uh, we should definitely get together sometime and jam, too. I know. Lee is a fellow musician. And he, Tommy, and Zach have been playing some music in the Bay Area. I haven't been over, but I'm excited. Very excited. Tommy raves about your jazz chops. So, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to pick a few. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs>